Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. This is a lot uh, for, for one particular exchange, um, any, any company really, but, but an exchange as consequential as Binance to deal with. Binance US, obviously the, the first thing on their mind is, is sort of trying to fight the SEC and, and figure out a way forward. I mean, there is a world where Binance can exist where it's not quite as big as, as it was before. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto eight years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the September 15th, 2023 episode of Unchained. Today's episode is brought to you by Overtime Markets, your premier Web3 sportsbook. The innovative protocol is changing the game one match at a time. Powered by Thales, explore more at overtimemarkets.xyz. Arbitrum's leading layer two scaling solution offers you ultra cheap and lightning fast transactions, all with security rooted on Ethereum. Visit arbitrum.io today. Toku makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax tech support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Make it simple today with Toku. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, trade, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Today's guest is Stephen Ehrlich, editor of Forbes Crypto Asset and Blockchain Advisor and director of research at Forbes Crypto. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me. Just a heads up, everyone, I have a sore throat in case you can't tell. So you might hear a slightly scratchier voice from me today. There have been a number of news events related to Binance over the last several months to the point where there are now a number of questions swirling around the exchange and its future about potential regulatory and possibly even criminal actions against the exchange and its founders. And then, of course, what all of this could mean for the crypto industry if the exchange that has been the biggest crypto exchange for the last six years either falls or at the very least loses its top spot. So Stephen, can you start by giving us kind of the main events or highlights of what has been happening with Binance over the last several months, including, you know, another big, um, you know, event this week? that have brought Binance to really what feels like a, an existential point in its story. Sure. Uh, how, how much time do you have? Because it, it could take, <laughs> a, I, I think this is just a, a 30 minute show. Uh, but, but no, it, it, I mean, it, it, in crypto, we kind of feel like, like um, every, every day is a week, every week is a year, every year is a decade. And, and, and for Binance, uh, there's been no shortage of, of big news. When um, FTX collapsed in, in November and, uh, and that sort of left CZ as like the, the big 800 pound gorilla that really was kind of lording over all of crypto. Uh, there were a lot of thoughts that, hey, maybe this is Binance's moment. It was already the biggest exchange uh, in the world 
by a large margin, and it just became so much uh, bigger and even more systemically significant. It's it's been a very difficult year for for Binance. Uh, I mean, just beginning with the fact that in the sixty days post collapse of FTX, uh, more than twelve billion dollars worth of customer deposits left the exchange. Uh, a colleague of mine, our terrific data, director of data and analytics, Javier Paz, uh, put together a report um, just talking about these massive investor outflows. Uh, that, that Binance has really worked to try to to stem ever ever since. I mean, then um, the hits kind of kept coming. Uh, I believe it was in February that the New York Department of Financial Services forced Paxos, which was the issuer of Binance's stablecoin, BUSD, which at one point, I believe, reached over $20 billion in, in market cap and was seen as a legitimate competitor to uh, Circle's USDC and the biggest stablecoin of all, um, Tether, uh, which has a market cap of, I think, $83, $84 billion or so. But DFS forced them to shut it down. It, it, I believe that was that order was also issued concurrently with something that came out of the SEC as well. And that was a really big hit for, for Binance. It, it might not have been quite as flashy as the suits from the CFTC and SEC that came in later. But if you're just talking about dollar terms and financial impact, it was massive because Binance was really trying to make BUSD the biggest stablecoin in the world. They're, they had incentives to encourage trading with BUSD. And, uh, and in particular, think about what people do. And, and obviously, Laura, you know, the, you know this and many people in your audience do as well. When you have $20 billion or $40 billion or $80 billion in, in cash, you can invest it in treasuries or money markets that are paying 5% annual returns. And, and that's, uh, I mean, that's an in, incredible amount of money that you can make virtually risk-free especially in a market like today where trading volumes are dwindling, reserves are dwindling. It's a really nice way to sort of supplement assets. So that's that's one thing that happened. In March, the, the CFTC sued Binance for a suite of charges. A lot of it stemmed from uh, the CFTC's allegations that Binance was operating as a as a, an FCM, a futures commodity merchant, uh, basically saying that they're offering um, like options and futures contracts at various digital assets without registering with the agency, which is required to do in the United States. And and then in particular, and, and this much like the SEC's um, suit, which came out in, in June, they both talked about efforts Binance went to uh, not only like let US customers participate on the exchange, but actually help them find ways to get around geo-blocking activities that they put in to make sure that the best customers could still trade on the exchange. So there's the, the CFTC lawsuit in March. There is the, the SEC lawsuit that came in June. Uh, there are rumors that the DOJ is investigating Binance and they would bring criminal charges. CFTC and SEC are, are sort of civil endeavors, which would kind of lead to fines and, and maybe bars from, from, from trading in certain activities. But obviously DOJ could bring criminal penalties if they bring such charges and are able to get CZ into custody. And, and then, I mean, there, there's other aspects too as well. I mean, Binance has been losing payment and the banking partners around the world. Uh, Binance US in June had to become a crypto only exchange because they lost their their banking partners in the US. So they couldn't handle US dollars anymore. Uh, they lost their auditor in January. And, and then on top of that too, just a wave of executive departures going from the C-suite to country manager. So so this is a lot uh, for, for one particular exchange, um, any, any company really, but been an exchange as consequential as Binance to deal with. Uh, it's really been just an onslaught of bad news after bad news. I mean, there's been a few glimmers of, you know, like new product initiatives and things like that. But, um, you know, a few other stats I want to throw in there are that spot volumes, um, like in terms of its market share, 
It had about 60% of all crypto exchange volume market share at the beginning of the year. Now, for the last few months, it's been at 45%. And, um, you know, they laid off a thousand people, you know, and then actually let's also now mention the executive departure this week that uh, was at Binance US. Tell us about that. Right. So Binance, as you as you rightfully said, has been losing market share. Even it, They remain the largest crypto exchange in the world, but they are losing um, market share in this swindling market. I actually believe the latest numbers that came out um, from CC Data put Binance's spot market share at least at around 37, 38%. Oh, wow. And if you're just looking at their spot volumes, I mean, they were comfortably still above $20 billion daily, uh, even in the beginning of the year. Now it's down to about $5 billion at, at the peak, at the peak. 2021, it was over 60 billion. So, I mean, just think about uh, exchanges make money by by taking small cuts of every exchange. And if your volume goes down 80% or whatever, I, I mean, that's money that you no longer that you're no longer getting. And and obviously, that's very consequential. And then with the executive departures, as, as you said, that that's something that I know CZ has tried to to gloss over. I know when we've reached out to some of the departed executives and, and they've either responded to, to us or to just public Twitter postings, et cetera, I um, mean, they, they kind of said things like, we want to take care of a family, the time is right, um, there was no acrimony involved, so on and so forth. But at some point, all of this all of this takes the toll. And at least with regards to, to Binance US, which is the, the, the US ethic franchise is the term that they like to use. For, for that particular exchange, they're in a very tenuous situation right here. I mean, even before, and I'll, I'll talk about um, Brian Schroeder's departure in a second. I, I believe right now, I just checked the numbers before we recorded this. They're averaging about 20 million, not 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 billion, not 200 million, but $20 million a day in transaction volume, 10 wow. million of which is Bitcoin. I believe that uh, I think they charge something like 10 basis points per trade. So if you think about that, like, 20 million times 0.1. I'm not really good at doing math in my head. I, I use a calculator for that, despite the fact that I'm a financial journalist. But <laughs> you can just think about the how little money that actually is coming in. And then uh, obviously, there's since Binance US was created in 2019, there's always been issues and, and questions about its independence from the, the larger exchange and, and would it actually be able to kind of find that sweet spot of separating itself in the eyes of regulators uh, while maintaining sort of that the secret sauce that has made Binance a loved brand by many customers. And they've gone through three CEOs at this point. Brian Schroeder just resigned. Um, I was speaking with some sources familiar with, with Binance US. And I, I was basically told that uh, this was not a planned departure, that the, the 100 person layoff was, but the removal of CEO Brian Schroeder, the the exit of him was was not. Uh, I've also been told that uh, it's, it's important to kind of keep an eye out for some of his key lieutenants now. Because remember, when he joined, one of the first things that he did was raise uh, a $200 million actually seed round at a $4.5 billion valuation. Uh, That's something Brian Brooks, his predecessor, had had wanted to, but he wasn't able to finish it. Um, Brian Schroeder did. And then uh, for part of that, that kind of saw Binance US as a growth company, he brought in some some, uh, key lieutenants, uh, chief legal officers, chief risk officers, and and I think that now that Binance US is kind of moving away from obviously growth, like any exchange, to sort of conservation, it's important to look at some people you brought in and they may be looking to leave. And actually, one of the sources I was just speaking with told me that um, their chief risk officer, Sidney Majala, and I want to look at my notes to make sure I don't get the names wrong, and uh, head of legal, uh, Krishna Juveldi, uh, have actually emails that have been sent to them by some of the other rank and file have started to bounce back. 
So I don't know if that necessarily means that they may have already left, but uh, it's certainly, um, I, I think it's important to, now that Brian is gone, see if some of those people that he brought in um, after he raised this big round with a lot of high expectations, uh, if they are going to follow suit. In a moment, we're going to talk about some of the potential regulatory or potentially even criminal actions against Binance and its executives. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Toku makes managing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. Are you designing your token compensation plan and grant templates with multiple law firms? Are you managing cliffs, vesting, and taxable events in a spreadsheet? Are you distributing tokens to your team manually? With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax tech support to grant and administer your global team's tokens. Easy-to-use token grant award templates, vesting tracking via online dashboard, tax withholding integration with payroll, automated distributions, great employee experience. Make it simple with Toku. Learn more at toku.com slash unchained. Arbitrum stands at the forefront of innovation as the premier suite of Layer 2 scaling solutions, bringing you lightning-fast transactions at a fraction of the cost, all with security rooted on Ethereum. From DeFi to gaming, Arbitrum 1 plus Nova is home to over 500 projects. And with the recent launch of Orbit, Arbitrum welcomes you to build your very own tailor-made Layer 3, or an Orbit chain. Propel your project and community forward by visiting Arbitrum.io today. Overtime Markets is your premier Web3 sportsbook. Overtime is an industry-leading Web3 protocol where users can immerse themselves in the thrilling world of sports. Leveraging the benefits of decentralization and blockchain technology, Overtime leads the charge in innovation, all the while offering fans juicy token rewards for sports events. Overtime supports over 40 leagues and utilizes advanced smart contracts to ensure a seamless user experience. Discover the future of sports trading at OvertimeMarkets.xyz. Back to my conversation with Steven. So as we um, discussed earlier in the show, there's this lawsuit by the CFTC against finance and its executives. And that document laying that out, it had some uh, pretty... Oh, what's the word? I guess shocking, you know, details of chats amongst the executives, you know, um, appear to be turning a blind eye to money laundering and things like that. But, you know, when you look at sort of all, you know, the, the CFTC one, the SEC, then there's these hints around, you know, potential criminal action by the Department of Justice. What are your thoughts around that? Like, why have we not actually seen an action from DOJ yet? Because there have been a few things that have been linked, like in the Wall Street Journal, I think the department is are potentially internally arguing about whether or not they even have enough information to actually go after them. But uh, go ahead and, you know, sum that up and tell us your thoughts on sort of what really is hanging over its head when it comes to the regulatory sphere. Laura, I'm glad you asked this question because I, I, I try to think of it in a, in a few different ways. I mean, for, for one, the the allegations, and again, uh, as 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 graphic and shocking as they are, as you kind of alluded to in the CFTC and SEC's complaint, uh, again, they are still allegations until this gets gets proven in court. And and obviously, Binance has, uh, and Binance US in particular has um, chosen to to defend itself. Uh, my, my source actually at um, at Binance US told me that uh, they feel somewhat emboldened by ripples, uh, at least a modicum of success against the the SEC. In its respective lawsuit, um, especially with relation to the um, the summary judgment that alleged or that decided that um, programmatic sales of XRP uh, did not constitute legal securities offerings, but but 
all, all that aside, re- regarding the DOJ, it, it's hard to know because I mean these these enforcement agencies are, are very tight lipped. It takes a while to build a case, and again, if you go back and read. Uh, the CFTC and, and SEC's complaints, which we both have done, they're incredibly detailed. So that stuff doesn't quite happen over overnight. And when there is something to be revealed, uh, it will be revealed. But I, I think another interesting way to look at the question is like, what would be the impact of, of all of this? I mean, again, like the scorchment bans from um, participating in regulated activities. I mean, sure, that, that's something. It's, it's legitimate to wonder about the future of, of Binance US with everything going on here. Um, the DOJ can't bring criminal charges, but uh, I mean, CZ, I'm sure, has been following what's going on with Sam Backward Fried, who's going on trial in a couple of weeks. And uh, well, if the DOJ brings charges, I suspect he'll be very careful to make sure he doesn't step into the US or any country with um, some sort of extradition treaty with the US. So if the idea is that finance may not, or at least the Binance International Exchange may not face any major real real penalties from, from all this or any major fallout, then, then what's the harm? And I, I think the harm then comes from just customer sentiment. I mean, one of the other, uh, I was reading an article yesterday that, that highlighted how while Binance is losing market share in the market, they're not losing it to people like Coinbase. They're losing it to to some of these other um, smaller exchanges that are still dabbling in those exotic tokens uh, that don't quite have some of the reputational baggage that that, that Binance has, has brought on. So customer fear about seizures, customer fear about, and, and the SEC lawsuit in particular talked about uh, commingling funds, allegations of commingling funds, of funneling like twenty billion dollars of customer funds to trading firms, uh, Merit Peak and and I believe the other one was called Signum that that Binance controls. One of which was allegedly used to facilitate wash trading of Binance US. Those are things that are going to cause customers angst. Uh, Javier Paz and I published uh, an investigation in March um, where we documented how. Binance took at least $1.8 billion for a wallet meant to be collateral for stable coins issued by, by Binance and used it to mint more BUSD. Uh, so like things like that are what can cause customers to, um, that loss of trust, uh, even among people that may not trust governments themselves or the US government in particular, that's what could really hurt them, I, I think, most, most importantly. And there's another really interesting development uh, from late August, which is that the SEC submitted a document in its case against Binance under seal. And John Reed Stark, the former 11-year chief of the SEC's Office of Internet Enforcement, tweeted that he couldn't even recall seeking to file a motion or any other court document under seal. Um, he was saying because the SEC does civil actions, not criminal actions, that all of it, not all, but, you know, like, the vast majority of its actions are public. And he had a few theories about why it might have been filed, sealed. You know, what what have you seen in terms of the theories about, you know, why that was? Yeah, th- this is a fun one. I'll, I'll call it um, the, the crypto Schrodinger's uh, cat for anybody <laughs> that, um, that that follows psychology or, or has watched the Big Bang Theory. Because really, it, it could be anything. I mean, it, it could be the smoking gun that brings down Binance, the entire crypto world. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm kind of being a bit jocular here. But it also could be something, I wouldn't say the word benign, because obviously, these are, uh, I mean, these are serious documents. But it could be as simple as uh, information containing PII, like personally identifiable information, which uh, if you're in the US, or I, mean, I guess we're talking about the US here, falls under pretty strict uh protections and and that has to be that has to be safeguarded and, and really nobody knows uh, it, it, it it could be one or the other it could it could be something in between and 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 obviously i saw john Reese stark's comments I actually uh, saw him speak 
uh, last Thursday at a, at a conference, a fintech conference hosted by the Philadelphia Fed. Sources within Binance US have, have told me that they're not entirely sure what, what's in it either. And and then I also spoke with a, a lawyer or two that aren't involved in the case, but are, are obviously very um, well informed about just securities regulations, securities enforcement, and everything going on. And and they also uh, told me that there's really no way to know until or if they get unsealed. And and anything else, I mean, obviously John Stark is uh, has had a long background. I mean, he's certainly an educated person and, and speaks from a position of authority. But the only people that truly know are the ones that. Um, drafted documents, and I, the only thing I would say is to, to to people not to jump to to conclusions one way or or another. We'll we'll find out soon enough if um, if we need to. Yeah, yeah, and but one of the theories that I did want to mention it goes back to the earlier question about the DOJ. They were saying that potentially um, the document might have revealed details about either a criminal investigation by DOJ, or um, or they might have just wanted to seal it to protect informants or whistleblowers. And there was even a theory that Sam Bankman fried might be uh, the person who was informing on Binance. I mean, I, in this, <laughs> in this industry, anything is believable and, and, and all those, I, I mean, to be frank, all, all those seem plausible to me as well. I mean, the DOJ has brought a number of criminal indictments on often concurrently or shortly following um, suits and filed by um, the, the civil authorities. So Again, I wouldn't be surprised about anything, and and I would definitely not be surprised if the DOJ brings an action against Binance. I think it's important for people to just be careful about. And, and again, it, it could be something horrible. It, it not, but the idea that it's some sort of red smoking gun that's going to be the end of all of this. It could be, but there's also a good chance that that it's not. And and I think that's it, where it's important for people to kind of calibrate expectations. Yeah. So speaking of FTX, let's just address one of the rumors that uh, I've seen floating around, which is that Binance could be another FTX. Um, I'm sure you've seen some accounts uh, floating this theory, um, and you know by that I, you know, I think what they mean is that it's insolvent, and if all the customers try to withdraw their funds, then there wouldn't be enough crypto assets to meet all the redemptions. It, you know, what do you think of this? Is there any evidence to indicate that this is the case? Um, you know, why do you think this theory is being floated? But another great question, Laura. There, there's plenty of reasons why this theory is being floated. I mean, again, um, these are two of the three largest exchanges in the world, at least going back to when FTX was in operation. Binance, just like FTX, is run by a uh, a very strong figurehead that has, a, a, I would say, a cult following within the the crypto ecosystem. The fortunes of the company are very much tied into belief in the capability of this leader. They both offer what's called an exchange token, which is kind of sort of like stock, but not really. And and people they offer certain trading benefits and other um, like other valuable things, but don't offer any actual equity or um, in in the company. But people buy them because their fortunes are seen to be tied to the fortunes of of, of the founder. But I, I, I think probably the biggest reason and you kind of hinted at it is questions of whether or not Binance is insolvent. I mean, they, they've gone through a few different uh, exercises, uh, putting out uh, proofs of reserve. Uh, I know they did one with um, an accounting firm called Mazars that ended up uh, dropping them and the entire crypto practice. Uh, I believe they now publish a proof of reserves on their own website, which which is good. But I mean, as you know, and I'm sure plenty of people listening know too, a proof of reserve is not even close to an audit. A- an audit will look at uh, flows in and out over time. It'll look at liabilities to make sure that uh, assets are not 
are, are not encumbered elsewhere. And, and it just goes into a lot more proof of reserve. I Sometimes I call it like staging a house. Like if you know where it, when it's going to be, you can bring in funds to make sure you, you match it. And then uh, you could say, well, if you do a proof of reserve every two days, maybe then it's, it's harder to, to fake it. But a proof of reserve, the point I'm trying to make is not, is not an audit. And one of the ways I think some people tried to say back months ago is that Binance is not FTX is because Binance did not have an equivalent of, of Alameda. Um, Alameda was the sister trading fund of, of FTX founded by Sam Beckman-Fried. There were always questions about how close the two companies actually were. Sam said that they were independent, but he was still the majority owner of Alameda. And and obviously, um, those two companies were much more closely entwined than anyone had had probably ever thought. And at least Binance didn't have that. But then again, like we found evidence. I mean, we we published it in March, Javier and I, about how they were sort of misappropriating, uh, if that's the right term, tokens from wallets that were supposed to be used as collateral to emit um, more more BUSD. And, and this was collateral for USDC, which meant that if all the outstanding, I guess, I think it was $1.8 million worth of USDC held by Binance users tried to go and redeem it, they, they would not have been able to meet those redemptions, at least without bringing in other, other funds. That's a concern. Um, the SEC allegations about customer funds moving into entities, other entities controlled by, by Binance that are not really disclosed. That's also a cause for concern. And and one other thing I, I'd, I'd like to mention too, when we were writing that report in March, um, we interviewed um, their then chief strategy officer, Patrick Hillman, who's one of the executives that resigned, I guess it was about a month or two ago, and, and asked him about some of these token flows. Because I mean, as, as you know, good journalistic practice is always to um, give someone you're writing a story about a chance to respond um, in case we make errors or they want to provide clarification and so on and so forth. And and the answer that we got from him was really was really interesting to us in in, in illustrative. Uh, he essentially said at the time that Binance was keeping two sets of books. Like one were the wallets themselves, where that people could watch, and then they also had their own internal ledger. And the two didn't always necessarily match up. And basically, that we had to trust them that they were going that they knew like what assets were owed to who and 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 for what. And obviously that was concerning uh, to hear. And then on top of it, it also sort of repeats the whole sanctity of proof of reserves to the sense that that there is one. Because if if what Patrick Hillman, and again, he's, he's not there anymore, but if what they're saying is that we can't necessarily always go by what's in particular wallets, that then what's the value of, of doing proofs of reserve? So I think your question was like, is this going to be an FTX? Um, what is the evidence? That's a very big allegation. And it, I mean, obviously, I'm not in a position to, to say that. And anyone who does is, is probably editorializing more than anything else. But we start seeing little pieces of information suggesting that, that Binance is perhaps not being as scrupulous as they can be when it comes to accounting practices. And that's where things can kind of get into trouble. So this has been such a great summary of all the happenings with Binance. Why don't you just leave us with your prognosis for the you know future of Binance U.S.? And also the future of finance. Like, you know, where do you think they go from here? Uh, two, two easy questions. Uh, I, I mean, so, so Binance US, obviously, the, the first thing on their mind is is sort of trying to fight the SEC and, and figure out a way forward. They claim to have several years of runway following um, these recent layoffs, and they're going to need it because, at least based on the numbers that I sketched out for you earlier, uh, the revenue is is is, is minuscule, and and it's going to be. For the foreseeable future, but maybe that's okay. I mean, their their new interim CEO Norman Reed. Uh, if, if you look up his background, I mean, he worked at 
the DCCC. He worked at the SEC. I mean, I mean, he's seen as like a compliance, regulatory, honest, honest guy. And maybe that's what Binance US needs right now to just kind of stay afloat before it could try to catch uh, the next bull run uh, if and if and when it comes. So, uh, I mean, that's something to keep in mind for for Binance US. But but again, I mean, they're at least according to the latest numbers I saw, twenty million dollars in, in in daily volume, which which is virtually nothing. And they're going to have to find a way to to grow that, but they also have to live to to fight that that next day. Uh, related to Binance, again, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell. I mean, I mean, there is a world where Binance can exist where it's not quite as big as as it was before. I mean, it happens in traditional industry all the time, where where somebody gets um, um, has, I wouldn't call Binance having a monopoly because obviously that's not true, but I mean they they dominate the market and, and and maybe they become smaller. I mean, they, they, they're pulling back from several countries. I mean, they recently pulled out of Canada. They pulled back from Germany. They pulled back from Netherlands. And and, and I mean, I could, I could mention many, many others. And, and maybe they, they pull back, retrench. They focus less on blitz scale, rolling out new products and, and just trying to service their core customers. And and maybe that's how they, maybe that's how they exist. I mean, I mean all the allegations surrounding them I mean, we still hear about their great matching engine, their great performance, um, good customer service. I mean, I mean, those things can be true, even if all the other stuff is true too. Which, which I guess we'll have to wait um, for more reporting and and potentially uh, legal cases to to play out. But then there's also a world, I guess, where if some of the worst fears come to fruition, where where Binance could end up imploding, and obviously that would reverberate around the crypto ecosystem as well. We just kind of have to, to to really wait and see. And but I think. The most important thing maybe to, to leave you and your listeners with is that uh, I, I still think that, I mean, crypto survived the collapse of FTX, it, it survived the collapse of BlockFi and Three Arrows and, and Celsius, and, and I, I can mention several others. Uh, it, it would also survive the collapse of Binance if that's actually what ends up happening. But but again, um, that's probably a step too far at, at, at this point. So we'll just have to, we'll have to keep watching. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving us this amazing recap of all of these events that, yeah, just, I mean, there was like this constant drip of news and I've just never had a chance to put it on the show. But when you add it all up, it's like, wow, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Laura. This was a great opportunity for me as well to um, to just kind of think about everything. And it's, it's just amazing everything that's happened since um, the beginning of COVID to, to now. And <laughs> And, it, and if we're writing a book, I, I feel like we're still sort of in the first couple of chapters. There's there's still a lot more to go. Yeah, I would agree. Thanks so much for coming on Unchained. Hey, thank you. Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Today, presented by veteran crypto reporter and Columbia University Knight Batchett Fellow, Michael Del Castillo. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Join over 80 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, trade, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's Unchained Weekly News Recap. I'm Michael Del Castillo, a Knight Badgett Fellow at Columbia University. In the latest of a series of developing events, the collapsed crypto exchange FTX, which filed for bankruptcy last November following alleged criminal mismanagement, is navigating through significant legal and financial turmoil. 
The exchange received approval from U.S. bankruptcy judge John Dorsey in the District of Delaware to sell $3.4 billion in crypto assets, including substantial holdings in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, to repay creditors and recover from a $7 billion deficit. In what appears to be a move to prevent spooking the market, the sale, managed by Galaxy Digital, plans to liquidate up to $100 million worth of tokens, a figure that could potentially increase to $200 million according to the plan. Simultaneously, Bahamas-based FTX initiated legal action against cross-chain protocols Layer Zero Labs, seeking to recover over $21 million in what its lawyers called, quote, avoidable transfers, end quote, that occurred in the 90 days leading up to its bankruptcy declaration. A lawsuit alleges fraudulent agreements and shared transfers orchestrated between FTX subsidiary Alameda Research's then-CEO Caroline Ellison and Layer Zero. The exchange accuses Layer Zero, its former chief operating officer Robert Leeton and others, from attempting to circumvent Chapter 11 regulations and transfer substantial amounts of various tokens from Alameda to Layer Zero's control. Also this week, a court filing covered by the block disclosed FTX's substantial marketing and sponsorship payments to notable figures and organizations, including none other than NBA Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer David Ortiz, tennis star Naomi Osaka, and NFL quarterback Trevor Lawrence, among others. As a monumental trial of former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried rapidly approaches, his defense submitted a series of probing questions to the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, seeking to gauge jurors' opinions on cryptocurrency, their body language, and perhaps, in a hat tip, to Bankman-Fried's advocacy for the concept of selecting funding recipients based on data, so-called effective altruism. Meanwhile, Bankman-Fried's defense alleged inaccuracies in the Department of Justice's claims regarding their client's laptop access during his incarceration. The legal team emphasized that he had poor internet access connection during the time period he was allowed to use a laptop, hindering his ability to prepare adequately for the trial. This comes amid accusations by the DOJ of witness tampering that have seen Bankman-Fried denied bail, with Judge Lewis Kaplan noting that the time pressure the defendant claims is, quote, largely of his own making, end quote. That's a particularly harsh stance since Bankman-Fried faces myriad charges including fraud with potential imprisonment exceeding 100 years and is slated to stand trial in less than a month on October 3. As for Bankman-Fried, his defense team accused the DOJ of attempting to obstruct a fair trial by seeking to exclude proposed expert witnesses. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has clamped down on the Stoner Cats NFT project promoted by notable figures including Mila Kunis and her famous husband Ashton Kutcher. The project, which raised $8 million through the sale of 10,000 NFTs to finance an automated series, has been charged with offering unregistered securities. Gerber Grewal, the director of the SEC's Division of Enforcement, emphasized that the economic reality of an offering, not its label, determines its classification as a security. Orchestrated by Stoner Cats 2 LLC, the project utilized a potent marketing strategy highlighting the creator's Hollywood credentials and potential high resale values. It worked, to put it mildly, with the collection selling out in just 35 minutes and accumulating over $20 million in secondary sales. Despite not admitting to any wrongdoing, 
SC2 has consented to a cease and desist order and agreed to pay a $1 million penalty, according to the SEC statement, which did not name the founders. Furthermore, the company pledged to establish a fund to reimburse impacted investors and to burn all StonerCat NFTs in its possession, according to the statement. Crypto lawyer Mike Selig wrote in a social media post, quote, The SEC is looking for PFP offerings as akin to 2017 vintage ICOs. Same marketing mistakes can be deadly, end quote. This case marks yet another instance of the SEC's stringent oversight of celebrity-endorsed crypto ventures, such as the one backed by Kim Kardashian, who was fined $1 million for her role. Still, some are noting the irony that the SEC catches celebrities but misses the big blow-ups like FTX. Masari founder and my former boss at Coindesk, Ryan Selkis, wrote on social media, quote, your tax dollars at work, end quote. Connecticut-based digital currency group, otherwise known as DCG, the parent company behind the beleaguered lender Genesis Global, has put forth a proposal that could see users of Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss's Gemini Earn program reclaiming between 95% and 110% of their assets. Whatever the amount ends up being, this initiative filed on Wednesday promises a significant recovery rate. The recovery strategy, however, hinges on the sale of 30 million shares of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, valued at approximately $670 million, pledged as collateral by Genesis to Gemini. Gemini previously said it would help make its users whole up to $100 million if they weren't paid out in their entirety. The proposal comes amid a backdrop of legal disputes and regulatory scrutiny, with both Genesis and Gemini facing accusations from the SEC of selling unregistered securities. Despite the ongoing challenges, this proposal, pending approval, does in fact offer a glimmer of hope to affected investors. In the latest developments surrounding the beleaguered Celsius network, former CEO Alex Masinski is embroiled in a series of legal battles. Following the freezing of his assets, including multiple bank accounts and a home, as ordered by the U.S. Department of Justice, Mushinsky is now fighting back against a lawsuit filed by the Federal Trade Commission. In a motion to dismiss the lawsuit filed on Tuesday, Mushinsky's legal team argued that the FTC has failed to substantiate any violations of laws or rules by him, emphasizing that the commission is not entitled to monetary relief. Interesting to see how that one plays out. This move comes after Mashinsky faced severe charges, including securities fraud and wire fraud, leading to his arrest in July. In related news, Roni Cohen Pavone, Celsius's ex-chief revenue officer, pled guilty to several criminal offenses in the U.S., according to a report from Reuters. This verdict comes after accusations of engaging in fraudulent activities, including market manipulation and securities fraud primarily concerning the inflation of Celsius crypto token prices. Cohen Pavone, who reportedly profited immensely from his scheme, now faces up to 65 years in jail. Hong Kong cryptocurrency exchange Coinex is believed to have been attacked by North Korean hacker group Lazarus, according to blockchain security researchers Slowmist and Zach XBT. Initial estimates suggested losses of around $27 million dollars, with later evaluations increasing the estimate to over $55 million drained from the exchange's hot wallets. The Hong Kong-based exchange assured users that their assets are secure and promised full compensation for the affected parties. 
The exchange has temporarily halted deposits and withdrawals to ensure security measures and it's actively investigating the incident, promising a detailed report soon. The controversial Milady NFT collection, simultaneously known for its popular anime picture profiles and for its creator resigning after admitting to racist writings, encountered yet another setback this week. After co-creator Charlotte Fang confirmed in May that she pseudonymously wrote racist articles and resigned from her leadership position, she resurfaced on Monday, claiming on social media that an attacker had seized control of social media accounts associated with the project, including Milady Maker and Remillionaire. In the social media post, Fang claimed an unnamed developer within the Milady ecosystem had orchestrated a scheme diverting about $1 million in fees from the Remelia Corporation. The supposedly decentralized autonomous organization, or DAO, behind the Milady Maker project. This exploit primarily impacted the revenue generated from Bonkler, an experimental finance art project initiated in April 2023, according to Fang, who added that, quote, only Remelia's revenue from Bonkler was compromised, end quote. She further claimed that the main contract, NFTs, and Bonkler reserves were still secure, going on to vow to pursue the culprits, quote, with the heavy hand of the law, end quote. In a startling error, crypto service provider Paxos has been identified as the entity that mistakenly paid a staggering 19.89 Bitcoin, approximately $500,000 in transaction fees, to transfer a mere 0.008 Bitcoin, or about $200. The incident, which occurred on Sunday, set a new record for the highest transaction fee paid in a single Bitcoin transaction. A spokesperson from Paxos confirmed the mistake to the block, stating it was due to a bug in in a single transfer and sought to assure users that efforts are underway to recover funds from F2P. From F2 Pool, the mining pool that processed the transaction. The spokesperson emphasized, quote, Paxos clients and end users have not been affected and all customer funds are safe, end quote. However, an F2 pool co-founder has expressed annoyance and even regret about potentially agreeing to refund the amount, turning the matter over to a social media questionnaire. Results to be determined as of the time of this recording. For those of you looking for a funny way to end your week, the founder of crypto exchange Thodex was sentenced to over 11,000 years in prison. Not that that's a laughing matter, but take a listen to what stand-up comedian Ginny Hogan has to say about the matter. Thodex was one of Turkey's largest crypto exchanges until it went offline in 2021, and its CEO Farouk Fatih Ozer went missing. About a year later, he was arrested in Albania, meaning that Andrew Tate is no longer Albania's most recent celebrity stowaway. Truly though, Albania feels like the wet version of Burning Man. After that, Ozer was extradited to Turkey, where just this week he was sentenced to 11,000 years in prison. 11,000 is enormous. It's like the number of women SBF has slept with times 11,000. He also faces a fine of $5 million, so I guess once he gets out of prison in 11,000 years, he's gonna have to get a job. Before this, Ozer was already in jail for failure to submit his tax documents. I had no idea you could go to jail for that. In America, that just means you have to serve as an elected official. Two siblings have also been sentenced to jail, which I think is very good. This way his parents can never be like, ugh, Why can't you be good like your older sister? In America, we also dole out tough punishments for our crypto fraudsters. SPF has been charged with a similarly tough sentence. No access to almond butter. And that's all. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Unchained knows it's very hard to keep up with the latest news in the crypto ecosystem. That's why they have a daily and weekly newsletter to get you covered. Sign up for free and receive the latest insights in, right in your inbox, Monday through Friday. Check out the show notes and subscribe to their Substack today. Unchained is produced by Laura Shin with help from Kevin Fuchs, Matt Pilchard, Juan Aronovich, Megan Gavis, Ginny Hogan, Shashank, and Margaret Curia. This weekly recap was written by Juan Aronovich and edited by myself, Michael Del Castillo. Thanks so much for listening. Looking forward to chatting with you next week. Unchained is now a part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. For the latest in digital assets, check out Markets Daily, seven days a week, with new host, Noel Acheson. Follow the Coindesk Podcast Network for some of the best shows in crypto.